did. Good morning, good morning. It's so good to see you all. This is the Time Change crew in the house. How you doing? Doing good? I don't know about you. I actually slept great last night. Here's the trick. I figured it out, all right? Solve the puzzle. I got in bed at 7.30 last night, okay? And I was exhausted from a very long week. So if you're really tired and you get in bed early, I slept like eight out, nine, ten hours last night. It was pretty good. So uh, I'm so thankful you're here. I want to say hello to everybody watching online uh, that's laid up after the river run yesterday or that's laid up because they slept in Pastor Alarm. Anybody sleep Pastor Alarm? I actually did, but uh, thankfully I just I slept amazing. So, uh, but we're so thankful you're here, excited uh, to just be stepping into a new series, uh, a, a new moment together, and uh, our, our lives are kind of made up of moments and uh, and people that we get to spend those moments with, and so. Uh, man, let's just cherish our moment. Let's cherish our time together uh, in worship and in fellowship and in the Word of God uh, today. Uh, if you're new here and you haven't connected through DNA sessions, DNA 2 is today, right after service, and we'd love to just make that an on-ramp for you to get plugged in, use your gifts that God has placed inside of you, and we are so thankful you're here. If you are a guest in the house and maybe we don't have your information, grab one of those connect cards. We've got a gift for you as you exit today. We want to be able to get you connected and build some relationships. Uh, but today's also a fun day because we are starting a brand new series called That's Offensive. Everybody say, That's Offensive. Even the title is offensive. And, and, and God worked this out so perfectly for it to start on Time Change Weekend because that is offensive. It's offensive to lose um, a, an hour of, of sleep. But you know what? It, it's, you guys know as well as I do, we live in this culture that's offended by everything. I mean, right? I mean, we're offended by another person's politics. We're offended by the way people dress. We're offended by the things we see on TV. We're offended by what the pastor said. And we're offended even by the things, <laughs> we're offended even by the things that we're usually super united on like pizza. Like we get offended when someone likes pineapple on their pizza. And I'll just tell you, it's, there's some of those people in this room today. And I am one of them. I love pineapple on my pizza. So come get me, man. What you want? Is anybody, is anybody else a pineapple on pizza? See, it's, it's just divided. There are pineapple people in the room. Thank you. It's sweet and savory. One day, one day your palate will be elevated to the point that you can appreciate sweet and savory and sour all together. But one day, one day, as the Lord wills. No, it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. We can find offense at anything. And, and as I've been thinking through this, preparing for this message for, or this series for a, a long time, the reality is that there is no avoiding offense. There's no avoiding it. We are going to be offended, and we are going to be an offender at times. Not because we even want to, but just because we we're human, and we're different, and we experience new things that we don't understand, or we don't like, or don't agree with. But what I want to do today is really just set a foundation, a biblical foundation for what offense is, and, and what it's doing in our life, and really hopefully provide us a very simple path towards freedom in this area because what I know about offense is uh, that it really affects us spiritually. Like, it, and it massively affects it. And you may walk into this room, and even as we joke about pizza and different things, be like, well, I'm not offended about anything, Pastor. Like, I'm good. Um, as we begin to dive into this, I think God's going to bring some relationships, and he's going to bring some moments and some conversations that happened in the past week, the past year, or 15, 20 years ago that have stuck with you and I've created a wedge in your spiritual life, and I believe that God wants to bring us freedom 
and peace over these things together. So uh, next week, uh, I'm going to be joined by my lovely bride up here, and we're just going to kind of sit down and have a a real natural conversation um, about how we've journeyed through this in our relationship, uh, being the offender and the offended uh, many times. Uh, That, that, you know, not only um, looking at it from just a a marriage relationship, but any relationship that we have that's close to us, offense is going to take place. So we're looking forward to to having that time together. Um, But today, I, I first want to start us really zoomed out um, and really kind of see uh, actually that this is far bigger than what we ever realized. Like we know it's a cultural issue right now, but I don't think we've realized that it's a spiritual culture issue right now. There's actually something much larger going on. And then I want to zoom in really past the culture and into what's happening in here and all this stuff and hopefully give us a path forward. So I want to jump to Matthew chapter 24, and the Gospel of Matthew is in chronological order. It ends at chapter 28 with our mission statement, the Great Commission that Jesus gives us, go make disciples of all nations. That's after he's resurrected. But before that, in Matthew chapter 24, it's kind of getting towards the end, and Jesus' disciples are asking him what a lot of people ask. Hey, like, tell me about this end times thing. How are we going to know it's the end times? How are we going to know what's going on? And, uh, and Jesus um, you know, says some of the things that we might expect him to say. Well, there's, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and there'll be earthquakes and there'll be fires and floods. Come on, anybody else notice like earthquakes happening in weird places and fire, like a lot of wildfires and things. And we're like, I think that's in the Bible somewhere. They're like, the end times will come and, and that's there. But, but as I was reading this, I was blown away by what I, I found as, let's go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. And here's what it said. And, and here's the next thing. After fires, floods, and earthquake, sign of the end times, here's what Jesus says, then many will be offended. Didn't see that coming. Earthquakes, fires, floods, and then many, meaning a majority of people, are going to be offended, if I just put this in Kyle's language, about anything and everything. Christians are going to be tripped up. And really the the Greek word here, skandalizo, means like a a stumbling block. It means they're they're going to trip over some stuff, stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that shouldn't trip them up. And then things that actually do have a a, a right for them to feel and and, and, and uh, feel that hurt, but then it's going to stop them in their tracks. It's going to stop them in their spiritual growth and they're not able to move forward. Uh, it's, a, it's a stumbling block, it's, a, it's an offense, it's something that causes distrust in another person or an entity. And Jesus goes on to say, then many will be offended and will betray one another. He's, he's actually telling there's a process that's going to happen here among the believers, a falling away, a tripping up over things. They're losing faith because of some things that are going on. They're going to betray one another and then they're going to hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive one another. So there's so much here. I, I want to spend just a couple minutes talking uh, uh, about offense um, and talking about betrayal and talking about what really hatred is. And, and hopefully this will be enlightening uh, for some of us uh, today. And uh, really with betrayal, what happens when, or uh, with offense, what happens with offense when we've been offended, when someone has said something to us, is we begin to put a wall up right? Because we want to protect ourselves. That's, that's what begins to take place. Uh, Solomon in uh, Proverbs eighteen nineteen, he says this. He says, a brother wronged, or sometimes it gets translated offended, 
A brother offended is more unyielding than a fortified city. I just know anytime I've offended my wife, it is like a fortified city between her and I. Like as soon as I said something stupid, then it's like a fortified city. The walls go, go up. Come on, anybody else seen that in your relationships? Anybody said something to you and you're like, oh, immediately, well, I'm, that's not going to happen again. Walls go up. And in Solomon's time, like, you know, at this time in the world, we put walls around things we want to protect, you know, and we, to keep the people we trust on the inside and to keep the people we don't trust on the outside. And when an offense takes place, we put up walls, don't we? We put up walls and we think that we're protecting ourselves. And we, we are to a degree, but really we're making ourselves susceptible to a number of things that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. The, the New Testament doesn't talk about, um, use the word walls when it comes to this, but it uses the word strongholds. It's kind of the same idea. And, and a stronghold is any thought or reasoning that's contrary to the word of God. So what happens when we feel hurt, when we get offended by what someone said to us directly, like it hurt us, but we don't say anything about it, what happens is we immediately have a stronghold that begins to take place. A wall, uh, something that's a stumbling block there for us, and that stronghold is a a thought, it's a reasoning that's contrary to the Word of God. Well, I'm just going to do this thing on my own then. You know, I I don't need all those Christian people now, because isn't it funny that some of the most offendable people are Christians? Like some of the people that get the most bent out of shape about every little thing are Christians, which is quite ironic considering the fact that our faith is built upon a God who took on our offenses to the cross. It's kind of funny, kind of ironic, isn't it? And so God wants to lead us into a life in which maybe we're not completely unoffendable, but we, we, know how, we, we live the majority of the time unoffended and we know how to be a part of what God's calling us to. And we, we cast down these strongholds, these thoughts and reasonings. Even though the offenses take place, we've got to realize a stronghold's got up and, um, and we've got to be able to work through that. We begin to, because we've developed, some of us in this room, we've developed some of these strongholds. We've got strongholds in our life. We've got excuses for them. They're our pets now. It is our philosophy of how we view life now. It's our perspective, and we don't realize that it's actually a stronghold. But Jesus says it's not going to stop at offense. The majority, and then it's going to go to betrayal. And oftentimes we un- understand the very simple version of betrayal. We think of, you know, Judas. Right, and we think of you know some of the major betrayals that have happened in our life, and we don't see betrayal for what it really is, and it's basically where I begin to protect myself instead of someone else. I look out for my own interest as opposed to the interest of someone that I'm in a covenant relationship with, whether that be a spouse, whether that be a coworker, whether that be a brother and sister in Christ. I start looking out for my own interest. This is what happened with Judas. He said, "I want the money." More, more than I, I want to have Jesus' back and be with him to the end and be faithful. I'd rather actually have the money. He looked out for his own interest. And this is what betrayal is. And when we put those walls up, what we're really doing is we're looking out for our own interest. And, and we've betrayed in many ways those of others because we don't trust them and we're not letting them in. And what Jesus is telling us is that it'll start with offense and then it'll lead to these little betrayals. 
And they happen just in, in the smallest ways. And we don't ever see those. We wouldn't process that as betrayal. Some of these things we won't even call offense because frankly, some of us are too prideful to say that offended me or that hurt me. It's not weakness to admit that hurt. It's not, it's not weakness to admit I'm a human and that words hurt me. That, that's, that's not weakness. That's strength. That's maturity. And, and so many of us, we just want to cover it up. We just put our walls up and nobody's getting in here. I'm going to protect myself. And we don't realize that it's a stronghold. It's contrary to the word of God and the life that he's called us to live. And not only does it not allow people into my life to minister to me, it doesn't let me out to minister to others. And so we're missing it all. We're missing everything that God's called us to because we've got our walls up. And Jesus says that this will eventually lead to hatred. And I think hatred is another one we don't quite fully understand because betrayal happens in many small ways as much as it happens in the big ones. But when it comes to hatred, really the Greek understanding of hatred is not like I hate you and I'm doing mean things to you and, and I'm doing just hate hateful things and speaking hateful things. Actually, the Greek understanding, the Greek word for hatred means a vacuum, an absence of love. So oftentimes what we get called, what we label apathy is actually hatred. There's just not love inside of us to actually do anything about it. And so we just think we're being comfortable and whatever, but it's actually, if we trace it back three steps, this vacuum of love to move beyond our world, it's because strongholds have been built up because an offense took place somewhere. It happened in our childhood. It happened at our last church. It happened right before our father passed. It happened before your sister moved. That offense took place, we put up a wall, and we don't realize, but now there's this vacuum of love, and we think we're protecting ourselves, but in fact, we're, we're also isolating ourselves. Jesus goes on and says, there's, there'll be many false prophets that will appear and will deceive many people. When false prophets come up in the New Testament, many times we talk about a wolf in a sheep's clothing. You, you ever heard this? Like in the scriptures, it talks about, oh, they're just a wolf in sheep's clothing. And usually when we talk about um, false prophets, we talk about shepherds who get on the stage and declare things that are contrary to the word of God, who are, in fact, in their own right, declaring heresy and uh, trying to protect them, themselves, and they were betraying the calling of God on their life to the word of God and to his call on, on their life, and they're betraying that. Um, but really, uh, often what we, we, we pay attention to those big, those big false prophets that happen on stages, but what seems to skate under the radar is all the wolves in sheep's clothing. Not shepherd's clothing, but in sheep's clothing. And if you know anything about a wildlife and how wolves attack, they do what? They do it in packs, and their goal and how they do it is to get someone what? Isolated. It's to get one weak, vulnerable person that's been offended and to get them that they'll go together as a pack. And if I've seen this happen one time in churches, I've seen it happen a hundred times. And it's not the shepherd who's doing it, but it's sheep. It's wolves in sheep's clothing. And, 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 some people, and the people that are most vulnerable is someone that's been hurt. Someone that happened. Maybe it's in their childhood. Maybe it happened last year with a leader that said something to them. And they took it the wrong way, and now they're, 
Now they're isolated because the stronghold's in place. It's contrary to the word of God. And now there's betrayal that's taking place. They're looking out for their own interest. And now there's a vacuum of love. There's hatred that's taking place. Is this making sense to anybody? Have you seen this play out? Or is anybody living this in this room? And so what we think we do is we think we're, uh, we're protecting ourselves, but really we've isolated ourselves. And we've become susceptible uh, not only to, to depression and loneliness, but we've become susceptible to deception. To have more thoughts that are contrary to the word of God, that are contrary to his truth. And here's the thing about deception, is you don't know when you've been deceived. You don't know. We've just gone on and we just go through our life and we put up walls. And I believe today is a day in which God wants us to confront some of the walls that we put up in our lives in order to, to, to get us deeper into community, into the mission that he's called us to. The text goes on, and, and I don't know if this is on there or not, but it says, because of the increase of wickedness or lawlessness, basically thoughts that are contrary to the word of God, because of that, here's what it says, the love of most will grow cold. It's a, it's a, it's a vacuum of love. It's just grown cold. I always get really concerned regardless of personality because of my own experience and what God had to bring me through where for a long time in my life, I didn't have a love for people. I've told this story many times. I was actually sitting in a class in college called personal evangelism. Like I'm studying in college to do ministry, to serve God with my whole life. And I'm sitting in the back of the room. I'm like, God, I don't even care about anybody. I don't care about people, God. If you want me to do this, then you're going to have to change something in my heart. And it was just, it was just an honest prayer to God, like, you've got to change this. And I, so I get really concerned when, regardless of personality, and I think, we, so some of us, we say it, but we actually don't believe it. We actually do love people. We just have an introverted personality, so we need people in limited. <laughs> we can get, get too much people. You know what I'm saying by introverts? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah. So, so sometimes we just say those things and we don't realize that that's actually contrary to the word of God. And so you got to catch yourself saying things that are strongholds, that are mentalities, that actually that's who you used to be, but you're not that anymore. So let's go ahead and break off that language that identifies in the old man, not the new man. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So I had, I had to break that off and I believe so many of us too. So I get really concerned when someone says, I, I just don't like people. I'm like, well, then, then God wants to do some things in our heart because he, he loves people and he's called us to love people and we can't do and be who he's called us to be if our love has grown cold. And I don't know, but I just think there might be some people in the room that's like, if you're really honest with yourself, my love has grown cold on people. Like walls have gone up because they didn't call me back. Walls have gone up because I heard what they said to so-and-so about me and walls are up and we don't even realize that our love has grown cold. And so I think there's two things I'm going to kind of transition here as we've kind of laid the bed, we've laid the foundation for what offense and how betrayal takes place in our life in very small ways and how there ends up being this vacuum of love. And we're going to come back to this at the very end, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. We're going to talk about that. But really, too, it, I really, this is, most of the time, I don't even try to do this, but things just end up having the same letter, you know what I mean, doing the pastor thing. <laughs> I promise, like, I'm not like, no, no, I got to stop. I need, I need matching letters. Think of a word, synonym. So I, I do that sometimes, but not all the time. But this one, it just kind of works out. There's two things I, I want to help. I want to help um, uh, that I think the reason we're offended, we can actually control. 
We can actually change. We can actually grow into some things. We can actually learn a couple of things. And once we understand this, we're going to be a lot less offendable, which means there's going to be a lot less strongholds in our life. And we're going to be a lot more like Jesus in the mission. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt when it happens for real, but that means the ones that I have no reason to be offended to, like it had nothing to do with me, I can move on from very fast. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So, um, so the first one is expectations and how big of a role expectations play in our offenses. They have a huge impact on our offenses. Because the reality, you know, and I've heard, maybe you've heard some people say this too, that, you know, the people in the world treat me better than those church folks. Or maybe you've noticed that. But my coworkers treat me better than the church people too. And, you know, maybe that's actually true. But I think a lot of times it's because of our expectations. So our expectation, you know, I think about Chick-fil-A because I, I love Chick-fil-A. I talk about Chick-fil-A a lot. Um, and one of the things uh, that Chick-fil-A, obviously great culture, great customer service, all those things. But let's be real. When they kind of came on the scene, we didn't have much to compare it to. Our expectations were pretty low, right? <laughs> so if they do a 30, you know, if they give us a 30 out of 100, we're like, it's amazing because our expectations were two thanks to the rest of the fast food chains, okay? And this, the same is true with people in the world. Like, if our coworker does anything remotely nice to us because they're just in another department or if someone opens the door for us, oh, they're so nice to me. That's because our expectations are just dropped out of the bottom. And, and when then it comes into like, you know, our other believers and, and, and Christians in the room, uh, maybe, and our expectations are a little higher for them, aren't they? Like, come on, no, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to do that to me. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to have my back. You shouldn't hurt me like that. And, and the gap between really our expectations um, and, and the, the offense is really what, uh, is how big the hurt is going to happen. Oftentimes. And so uh, with Christians say it's like a 50 out of 100. Our expectations are a little bit higher. You know, and so when they hurt me, it's like, oh man, how dare you? I can't believe you. And then we build a wall and then it goes up. But then for our spouse, I would add our leaders, we have very high expectations for. Our political leaders, especially our spiritual leaders, we have very high expectations for. And I'm not saying don't have expectations. I'm not saying don't have high expectations, but I'm saying this has a huge impact on how quickly and how much you're offended. And the enemy loves to take advantage of this in a marriage relationship in which there's high expectations and rightfully so, and that we don't offer mercy and grace to that person. And, they loved, and the enemy loves to do it with spiritual leaders, too, because we have high expectations as we should and goes with the territory. But those are so high, sometimes the enemy wants to work a wedge in there. That the littlest thing of, of the pastor not calling you back or your team leader, you know, saying something that just kind of caught you off guard and was that about me or... You know what I mean? And then the enemy wants to drive a wedge there because if we can't fall under spiritual leadership, then we're going to be even, and we're isolated, then we're so prone to deception. Remember John 10.10, 10, the enemy seeks to, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is his plan for your life. And he wants to put a, a wedge there um, between us. And so we've got to know that we're susceptible to these things. And we set ourselves up for a lot of offense because of our our expectations. And, and, and I know some of us might say, but you don't know what they did to me. We want to think about the offense more and more. We just want to sit in the mess of the offense. 
You don't know what they did to me. And, and I would just say, do you remember what Jesus did for you? For me, that's where it always starts. It's always got to go back to is do we remember what he did for us? He bore our offenses. He carried our offenses on his back to the cross to make a way. And he forgave us before we did anything for him. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died. Before, before repentance, before you did anything, that is why it's a gift and you cannot work for it. That is what we declare when we come to the table. But like I said earlier, many of us are way too proud to admit that we've been hurt by our spouse, by our boss, by our pastor, by our leader, by our friend, by our sister, by your brother. We're way too proud to say, that even hurt me. And so what we do, we just, we think we're stuffing and sweeping our emotions under our own emotional rug, but when in fact we've built up walls and there's thought processes that have taken place and there's strongholds because they're contrary to God's word. Is anybody tracking with me today? I feel like this is a needed word and there, there's a couple of different scenarios that play back. And we know, uh, if, you've, if you've read the scriptures, Matthew 17 gives us a guidance in how to deal with offenses, how to deal when someone sins against us or sins in general, that we are to go to that person and work it out. Not to go gossip to someone else. Not to go find somebody who's going to side with us in our offense. That, that's what comes natural. I need, fun, I need someone to get on my team on this. So that when I go to them, then I'm not alone in this. And, 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 then God, and then the scriptures teach us to bring someone else to the table if that can't work it out. But oftentimes when we go to that person, what we really want to do is we just want to vomit everything they've done to us. We just want to get it out so we feel better when we left. All right, now I told you, you hurt me, and now let's get this over with so I can move on. But that's not what God's plans for us. Are the purpose of us gathering back and God's plan for this is reconciliation. And it's important we understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness can happen by myself. It can happen and it's hard when we've been offended. We're going to talk about that here in just a second, how to work through that. One is adjusting our expectations in, in some scenarios. Um, two is just understanding that, that we're going to be offended as part of it. But there's two things that usually happen. One is this person doesn't even know that they've offended you right? They don't even know what happened. And so coming to them, how I approach that conversation, I, and this particularly applies to text messaging these days. So let me just help you out a lot. Just give every single person, if you are texting them, give them the benefit of the doubt. Can you, like you will set yourself free from so much anxiety and stress in your relationships and, and lies and strongholds. It becomes strongholds. So if it matters, don't text about it, okay? If tone matters, it may have an impact, then don't text about it. Like, be an adult and go to someone and talk to them, okay? So I'm, I'm just going to say this. At a relational level, we need to get really mature. I think so many, and I don't care the age. I've seen this in 50-year-olds, and I've seen it in 15-year-olds, Okay? It happens all across the board, and so I'm calling us all out to say, let's be mature Christian adults in how we deal with things, and let's give people the benefit of the doubt and set ourselves free from judgment. But we've got to know the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. I can forgive this person individually, but reconciliation takes two to tango, okay? So I, I know that coming in, and forgiveness is, is something between me and the Lord that I've forgiven them. I'm not, I'm not coming to just make them feel worse. 
And, and really the, the place in which reconcili- reconciliation happens is repentance and kindness. If I just approach that conversation, whichever route it is, whether they know they've offended me or if I've offended them and they were offended too and we're both offended, we're both hurt. Come on, that's one of the two situations. They don't even know. And so I approach that conversation and say, hey, you probably don't even realize this happened. But I just want to talk it out and just let you know that actually actually hurt me. I know you probably didn't even realize that. And I know that's not in your heart. You see the, just the benefit of the doubt that's free. I'm setting an environment of kindness, not, a, not, not one with strongholds up. I can just step into that environment. Because here's the thing. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So if that person really needs to apologize, if they really need to repent because they actually did intend it, I'm going to come at that and I'm going to create an environment that where reconciliation can happen. Not one in which I'm going to keep my walls up and they're... I'm, when I forgive, I'm going to come in, create an environment of kindness. And the other scenario in which both of us have been hurt, we need to come with a really open mind. And first, we lead with repentance. If you want real reconciliation, genuine repentance, not false repentance. Not like, no, no, I'm really sorry that hurts your feeling. I'm so sorry that you're so emotional. And I'm, I'm so sorry that you're so immature. Come on. Let's be real. That, that's how we often approach it first. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that, that you felt this way. Not, come on, that's how we usually say it. I'm sorry you felt this way. I'm sorry you're not strong enough. Instead of, no, no, I'm sorry that I didn't think through my words. I, I'm sorry, and like I'm, I'm searching my heart on that, and I, I, I pray that you'll forgive me. Like I, 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 I hope I didn't intend that, but I'm going to pray about it, and I I'm gonna, I, I forgive you 100% if you'll, if you'll forgive me. You, you see how we can just set an environment for kindness that sets up reconciliation? I don't care if that's with your coworker, your brother and sister in Christ, your spiritual leader, or a husband and wife. Like God wants us to operate in this way, create an atmosphere in which repentance takes place, which is what he does. It's the kindness of God. He forgives us first. So expectations are a huge thing, huge thing that can really set us up for better success when it comes to being unoffendable and the second thing is exercise. Kevin, can I borrow you real quick, man? I'm going to read a scripture as you're coming up here. Acts 24. Let's jump over to a different scripture. Acts 24. Uh, I'm reading King James a lot today. So, and herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense. No, come on stage, man, so people can see how big you are and we get our online audience. See, I look so shrimpy next to you, man. <laughs> Give it up for Kevin. Um, to always, I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Okay, so Kevin, look at me. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 don't push me. But if I come to you, man, I just give you a push. Like, he barely moved. He barely moved. If I just push him, like, he may have felt that. It may even offend him a little. It moves him a little bit. But, like, he's not losing sleep over it. He's not bruised. He's built up. Dude works out. I mean, you can tell he works out. You know, sorry to embarrass you. I know that's probably embarrassing. But um, if I if I do that, but if I come over here and I take this and I whack him in the head, I don't care how worked out he is. I don't care how swole he is. It's gonna hurt, and it's gonna leave a wound. That, that that's a that's a stronger offense. And 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 when that takes place, the, the reality here's the reality: some wounds we can bounce from quickly. Some offenses, we can bounce back quickly. But there's some offenses, there's some wounds that take time to heal. 
And I think most of the ones that are coming to your brain right now are taking time to heal. They've been trying to heal for 10 years, for 15 years, and we can't get past it. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Give it up for Kev. Some things don't. Lee, I'll call you up next time. <laughs> Swole, man. You're looking good, man. Trimming down. Um, so sometimes how offended or how wounded we are has to do with our expectations. Other times it has to do with our exercise. This past Monday, we, we were doing this stage redo this week, and, and um, I did something. I was moving something this week, and, and I, th- I threw my back out. Like, doing, come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, just doing the dumbest thing. Like, just reaching over and doing something. And, you know, I was complaining about it for the next 24 hours. Taryn was oiling me up and, you know, take an ibuprofen and let the inflammation go down. Not like that. (laughs) They're laughing because my wife's super into essential oils and it's the treatment for everything. But, um, but you know what? I, I am 100% sure if my upper body was just remotely in shape, I would not have gotten hurt doing that. Some, some offenses are because of our expectations. Sometimes it's just because we're out of shape spiritually. We're out of shape. And God wants us to get in shape and prevent some of these things. It might have something to do. If we're a person that's constantly offended, I'm guessing it has something to do with how spiritually in shape you are. If everybody's upsetting you everywhere you go and you're questioning everybody's motives and, and meanings behind, if look, everybody's not out to get you. And so if that's you, then it's, it, it probably, I hate to tell you, it might have to do with your expectations. And God had to set me free on my expectations. I don't even have time to go into a lot of personal stuff this week. I'll go into it next week. We're just going scripture and in, in, in depth here. But, um, but God had to set me free from that. And, and I've had to learn the same thing when it comes to my exercise. The scriptures give us plenty of, of pathway forward here when it comes to being spiritually fit. I mean, we could, we could even the person that, that is irreligious could probably come up with a couple of things of how to get in shape spiritually to pray and to read the word, right? Someone who knows nothing about faith could probably figure that out. If you want to get in shape spiritually, get less offendable, be more in shape than we, we've got to, to uh, pray for people. You know, Jesus never says, pray for your mom, to pray for your husband, to pray for your children. Never says it. But you know what he does say? Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those who offend you. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for your enemy. He says that. Why? Because the mom, the kids, that, that comes pretty easily for us. But those that mistreat you, if we, can, if we can love them, if we can pray for them, then we're going to probably be all right everywhere else. So Matthew 5, says, pray for those who mistreat you. You know, and, and that's hard. If you've ever been offended, if anybody's ever hurt you, you know, that's a crazy statement. That's one of those that are like, what do you mean? They're the reason I got fired. Pray for them. Praying they're going to get hit by a bus. Praying they're going to get fired. Pray that. And I love David, I love David in the scriptures, man, because he's just, he just lets it out. He lets out honestly how he's feeling. Like, God, I pray that you will take him down. And in Psalm 35, I don't have time to, to really go there. I don't even know that I got on the screen today. But Psalm 35, David's working through some emotions as he's being chased for his life and people are hunting him to kill him. He's got reason to be offended and people are mistreating him. And he's working through this with the Lord trying to get to a place where he can pray for them. 
And, and the scripture goes on. You have to, to read it for yourself. But he goes on to say, uh, basically, I'm going to weep for them like they're my brother. I'm going to weep for them like they're my mother. I'm going to pray for them like they're my friend. Go back and check it out. If you're in this place right now and there's a wall and you are trying to pray for this person, and, and this will be, be the barometer to know how healed you are from that offense, is when you can pray for them like your brother. When you can pray for them like they're your friend. When you weep for, oh, like, oh, I'm so sorry they're going through, no, no, no. I'm weeping for you because you were going through that. That's, it's a barometer for that. So the first place to get spiritually fit in this and the band can come, It'll shut me up quick. And the second thing is to, to dwell on the word of God. It's to dwell and meditate on the word of God. I, I love what Psalm 119, 165 says. Yeah, there's 165 plus verses in this psalm. Check it out. Great peace have they which love thy law, which love the word of God, who love the law, and nothing shall offend them. Praying for those that mistreat you is a barometer for it. It's getting us spiritually fit and, and, and beginning to meditate and loving the word of God, dwelling on the word of God. It gets us in a place where nothing shall offend us because we're constantly reminded of what Jesus did for us. See, there's this process that God wants to take us through, but so many of us stop halfway. And we keep having to restart relationships. We keep, like, the, the plant, like, we've got some fruit trees out here. And, you know, they've been planted for two or three years. And they're just now starting to see a little bit of fruit. And we get to that point, and we're like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to cut it down. I'm just going to rip it out because this winter was rough. Weather was rough on me. This, so I'm just going to rip it out. I'm going to go find another place. And then we start the process all over again with our relationships whether it's our dating and romantic relationships, whether it's our spiritual relationships in a body of Christ. But God wants to take us further into this. You see, love at the beginning is real naive. I love you because I don't know your faults. It's easy to love at the beginning, isn't it? Oh, I just love this person. We can jump to love so quickly because they haven't wronged me. I don't know about your faults yet. But then in the, in the middle, there's an opportunity because now I know your faults. Now you've hurt me. Now you've offended me. Man, I don't love you anymore. That was pretty shallow love, wasn't it? it was just, that was just love at the beginning. It's naive. Some of you in your marriages, you're processing this right now because you feel like love has grown cold. Probably because offenses took place. Probably because betrayal has been taking place. I'm looking out for myself and not for the person I'm in covenant relationship with. But God wants to lead us past the middle he wants to lead us past the place where we're just constantly uprooting relationships and, and covenant relationships. No, because after that, there's reconciliation. There's healing that takes place. And when we come back together, we're tighter than we've ever been. That, that there's a real strength. There's a real unity among us. Because now I've experienced your faults. You've offended me. I know you're not perfect. That is down. And now I... And now I know that I can operate with real agape, unconditional love. And here's what, just to end on this, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, the love of God covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of offenses, of how you've been wronged. The love of God does. God wants to take us through the journey. Go back to, go back to the original text that we were looking at there, verse 14. And did you see what it says? But the one who stands firm, 
who hangs in there till the end, that presses through the betrayal, that presses through the offense, that presses through love growing cold and gets to a place of agape love that covers all multitude of sins, they will be saved. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your journeys look like when it comes to offense. I don't know if you come in here extremely lonely, like loneliness that's like suffocating you right now. God wants to break down some walls to let you connect with people. To not just let you be ministered to, but to let you minister to others. I don't know if you come in here today hurt or offended by a coworker. I don't know where you're at, but I just believe some of us are stuck in the middle. We've got some offenses, present, past, and I think God's setting us up for future too. Maybe we're just realizing, man, my, there's a vacuum of love. I've never said I've hated, but man, I'm just looking out for me, and that's the real talk. In our relationships with one another, let's have the same mindset as Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to take to his own advantage, but he gave himself up on the cross, is what Philippians 2 says. He gave up everything to serve and to love. Two wrongs don't make a right. right. And so I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray with you today. And if you'll just bow your head, I want to ask you a couple questions just to know who I'm praying for today. If you'll just bow your head with me, close your eyes. If if you're here today and just say, Pastor, I've probably called it apathy. I've kind of just been going through the motions, but there's a real vacuum of love in me right now. Will you just raise your hand so I can know who to pray for today? I want to pray with you. There's a vacuum of love. Just keeping it real. Anybody in the room that would say, hey, I'm honestly, I'm living with walls up. My walls are up. There was an offense that took place. I don't even know where it's at, but my walls are up. I'm looking out for me. Anybody? Raise your hand. Let me know where you're at. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody in the room right now that you just know today there's an unhealed offense in your life? You can't pray for them like a brother or like a mother. If that's you, will you raise your hand so I can just know who I'm praying for today? There's an offense that's taking place, and I want God's touch. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, this time in your words to just let you speak to us, to let you break down every wall, God, to you, for you to heal every hurt. God, can, can you remind us of the cross today? Can you remind us of the blood that you shed for us on Calvary when you took our offenses? And I pray that that would remind us, God, and set us free to the healing process both internally of forgiveness and externally of reconciliation. For those many of us in the room, God, who today, man, we're just learning about expectations and maybe we just realized today, I'm not very spiritually in shape to get in his word. I need to lean into my prayer life, God, and pray for others. God, would you lead us on? Would you lead us into depth of your love and setting our life on the foundation of agape love? who loved us and gave himself for us before we ever did anything for him. God, would you lead us in this today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship with the band and just pray and lean in and let God speak to us.